Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome to Restore. I am so grateful that wherever you are, you've decided to join us today. My name is Troy McMahon, and I'm the lead pastor here, and grateful that we get a chance to spend some time together. We are kicking off a brand new series today called Rethinking Church. And i got to tell you, I've been so excited to kick off this series back when we began planning it in the summer. And I truly believe that this series has something to offer all of us. And then if we'll lean in during the next four weeks, I think God wants to do something specifically in each one of us, but also do something collectively with us as a church. Now I realize when I say the word church, make conscious of all kinds of things, thoughts and emotions, feelings, doubts. Maybe you have really positive experience with church. Maybe you've got some negative experience. Maybe you have no feelings about it at, particularly at all. Well, so I want to kick off our time in this series by simply leaning in and to discover about what the church is. Now we're going to do things a little different today. We're actually going to dive right into our true source, the Bible, and we're going to read a number of verses. Actually, quite a few verses. We're going to read an entire chapter of the Bible. So if you happen to have a Bible around you, go ahead and grab it. If you happen to have your Bible app on your smartphone, you can open it up. And we're going to read the entire chapter of Acts chapter 2. Now, I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. So if you've got it, you can go to Acts chapter 2. So let's begin. It says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire, it appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. Now, at that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, well, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own language. And they were completely amazed. How can this be, they explained. These people, they're from Galilee, yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. And here we are, we're, we're Parthians, we're Medes, we're Elamites, we're people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and a uh, province of Asia, Persia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya, Libya around Cyrene. There's visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. And they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd, where they ridiculed and say, well, they're just drunk. That's all. And then Peter, he stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and he shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people, they're not drunk, as some of you are assuming. It's nine o'clock in the morning. It's much too early for that. No, what you see, it was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last day, God says... I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. 
And I will cause wonders in the heaven above the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark, the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth by doing a powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew that the, what would happen, and he prearranged a plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross. You killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in his grip. King David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praise. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you fill me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and he was buried. And his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised us with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. And David was looking to the future, and he he was speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not allow him to, to be among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. And now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he has promised, he gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and you hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said this, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. And Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise, it's for you. It's to your children. And it's to those who are far away who've been called by the Lord our God. And then Peter, he continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. And those who believe what Peter said, they were baptized. And added to the church that day, about 3,000 in awe. And all the believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. And this deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miracles and signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything that they had. 
They sold their property and their possessions. They shared the money with those in needs, and they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for these words. Thank you for all the images that are created when you created this thing that we are part of called the church. Thank you for the miraculous signs, the awe and wonder. Thank you for the words of community. Thank you for the desire we have to come before you to worship and celebrate you. Thank you, God, that you have chosen to use us broken, imperfect people as part of your perfect plan. Help us, Father, to live into what it really means to be your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you would, do me a favor, right? Think through some of those words that we were just reading together. And instead of imagining yourself on the outside reading those words kind of from a distance, now imagine yourself fully immersed in the story. That you are there on that day of Pentecost, the day the church starts. You're there in Jerusalem. You hear the commotion. You come running. And all of a sudden, Peter steps out and he begins to preach. When he opens his mouth, what are you thinking? What are you feeling when he starts to preach about this Jesus? And, and then all of a sudden you realize that you're not alone. You've got your friend who has come to Jerusalem to visit you from Rome. And then as you're having a conversation and he's hearing these words, you look across and you see there's people here from Ethiopia, from Kenya, from Syria, from Greece. And everyone is hearing these words spoken in their own language. How are you feeling? You know, on that incredible day, 3,000 people said yes to Jesus and were baptized. You know, this act of baptism, it would become the marker experience for the beginning of a relationship with Jesus. It would be this public declaration that you were committing to being a Christ follower. Now, if that day had been the end of it, well, it would have been spectacular. But what emerged from that day, well, it would change the world. And what emerged is the church. And I'll tell you, this newly formed community of Jesus followers... They started what we continue today. You see, they worshipped. We read that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the sharing of meals, to prayer. And there was this deep sense of awe that came over them all. And the apostles, they performed miraculous signs and wonders. And it says they worshipped together at the temple each day. But in addition to worship, they also experienced community. You see, all the believers met together in one place. They shared everything that they had. They sold their property and their possessions. They shared their money with those in needs. And they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy, with generosity, all the while praising God 
and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. But I tell you, they also were on mission. From the very beginning, the church was on mission. And we read, in each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I tell you, when these three things, when worship, when community, and mission come together, well, you always find the church at the center. Because the church is the center of the movement of God. Now, God's plan A, to reach the world with the good news of Jesus, well, his plan A is the church. And the church is simply any group of people pursuing Jesus in worship, in community, and mission. Now, i got to give a little disclaimer here. From the moment that Peter opened his mouth to preach about this Jesus, from that moment, the church was imperfect. Because it was filled with imperfect people. You see, Peter himself had huge gaps in his faith. I mean, just weeks before this particular day of proclamation, Peter would deny Jesus on the night when Jesus needed him most. And after this day of proclamation, there would be a time when Peter's own faith would drift and he would find himself back kind of holding on to the law versus living under grace. So I just got to say, if you're looking for the perfect church, well you won't find it. Mostly because, well, you were there. And if I'm looking for the per perfect church, I'm not going to find it because, well, I'm there. But when worship and community and mission are empowered by the Holy Spirit, I mean, supernatural things begin to happen all around us. And it happened in the first century, and I think God wants to do it in the 21st century. Now, the church has not only survived over these past 2,000 years, though, it, it has thrived. From the beginning in Jerusalem, it continued to grow and spread. We read in Acts, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message that Jesus is the Messiah. They just couldn't stop. But soon afterwards, as they continued to grow, those in power kind of looked down upon and persecution began uh, uh, for the church. And we read this great wave of persecution began sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, they were scattered. Scattered to the regions of Judea and Samaria. And with this, well, the church began to spread beyond Jerusalem. If we look further in Acts, we read that meanwhile the believers who had been scattered during this persecution, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch of Syria... And what they did is they preached the word of God. But they started here only preaching to the Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene, they began preaching to the Gentiles. And the power of the Lord was with them. And a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. And when the church at Jerusalem, they heard what had happened, well, then they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the evidence of God's blessing, I mean, he was just filled with joy. And he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Now, it was here in Antioch, after the persecution in Jerusalem, that the first church planting church began. 
We read later in Acts, on de- one day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid hands on them and sent them on their way. And Saul, who would become known as Paul or the Apostle Paul, he would go and he would start churches across the known world. As you and I, we read through the book of Acts, we, we discover, man, in the first century, I mean, Paul did church in some really unique places, had some unique temporary facilities. He would go to every city that he began his work in, and he would start at the synagogue. That would be the Jewish religious gathering place. But then he began to use alternative places, the marketplace in Thessalonica. He, he used a lecture hall or amphitheater in Ephesus. He used a pagan temple in Lystra and in Athens. And he even used a riverbank in Philippi. And by the end of what's known as the apostolic era, the time when the Bible was written, which was about 100 A.D., those 3,000 converts on that day that we read about in Acts chapter 2 had grown and tripled inside to about 10,000. But then, according to Rodney Stark, who's a historian and wrote a phenomenal book called The Rise of Christianity, things really began to take off. Between 100 and 150 80s, five years, 50 years later, the number of Christ followers and Christians would quadruple to 40,000. The next 50 years would have it go five times to 220,000. And 50 years later, it would go another five or six times to 1.2 million people. And then, over the next century, by 350 AD, there would be 33 million Christian converts in the world as Christianity would become the dominant religion, including the Roman emperor Constantine the Great. Now, you may hear those numbers and go, wow, whoa. You may be somebody like me who's inquisitive. Are they real? Or you may be asking, how? How did that happen? Did it happen because they had fantastic buildings? No. Did it happen because they had the best preachers or the best programs? No. The way that this happened, as we see through the eyes of historians and early church fathers, was through love and compassion. You see, through the first few centuries, numerous plagues occurred. First-hand observers who would write in their books uh, of history or in letters to to the early church, they would write things like, the doctors were incapable of treating the disease. People became afraid to visit anyone, and as a result, thousands of people died with no one to look after them. Indeed, there were many of the houses in which the inhabitants perished through lack of any attention. We read that the bodies of the dying were heaped one on top of the other, and half-dead creatures could be seen staggering about the streets. And the catastrophe was so overwhelming that people became indifferent to every rule of morality. I love how Eusebius says, he says, Many pushed sufferers away, even their own dearest, often throwing them into the roads before they were dead, hoping to avert contagion. And Dionysus, who was the the bishop of Alexandria, wrote a letter on Easter, and this is kind of how he explained his observation. He said, during these plagues, most Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty. 
never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, tending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And many departed their life serenely happy, for they were infected by their neighbors and they cheerfully accepted their pains. They lost their lives in this manner, and many elders did as well. You see, when the cities were falling apart, Christians stayed, and they took care of people, even at the cost of their own lives. You know, if you take care of someone who's sick and you give them blankets or food and and water, and that's all you have to give, they're five times more likely to survive. So most of the people who survived the plagues only did so because the Christians took care of both Christians and pagans. This was a conclusion that I discovered. It says, the consequences of all this was that pagan survivors faced greatly increased odds of conversion after they recovered because of their greatly increased attachments to Christians. The church grew because people knew how to love not just those inside the church, but love everyone, even at the cost of their own life. You know, today's estimates is there are over 2.5 billion Christians in the world. Now, with all of that, maybe you should just think we should sit back and just relax. It, phew, all's good, right? Well, unfortunately, no. Over the past decades in the West, which would be Europe and America, being a Christian has become more, well, something you check on a box for the census or a survey. And the idea of being the church is more, well, it's a building you go to, it's an event that you attend, rather than this group of people passionately following hard after Jesus. My friends, too frequently, we have lost our focus on worship, on community, and on mission. And it transforms the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. But don't lose hope. Because God's at work. God's at work and his plan A to change the spiritual landscape of your everyday community. His plan A is you. Now in full declaration, you know, I've been involved and connected with a local church from my earliest memories. And I have to say, it's in the midst of these imperfect people that I was loved deeply, that I was guided and directed forward, that I was encouraged, that I was challenged, that I was trained and equipped. But I can also say that it was in the confines of these imperfect people that I was deeply, deeply hurt and that I was rejected. And I know, I know uh, the church over history at times when it's come together and leveraged its organizational power, it has created pain and it's created division. And you might ask, why? Why then, Troy, are you so full of hope as we move forward? And the reason I can continually come back with complete hope is this. Jesus spoke these words himself to call it out in me and in you. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell, they will not prevail 
against it. My friends, the church is the Holy Spirit empowered community of Jesus focused on worship, community, and mission. I want to just encourage you. If you haven't said yes to Jesus, if you haven't made that decision to say, yes, I want to be a part of this thing. I don't want to be an observer. I want to be a part of this thing intimately. Man, you can make that decision right where you are, right where you are today. You can just say, Jesus, I want to fully receive the grace and mercy offered to me through what you've done for me on the cross. And maybe you've made that decision, but unlike those 3,000, you haven't decided yet to go public with your faith in baptism. If you're ready to take that step, man, just take your smartphone out and text the word baptism right now to the phone number on the screen. It'll answer four simple questions, and then we're going to follow up. And no matter where you live, we're going to create the opportunity for us to experience this powerful, transforming act together. If you're ready to make that decision, do it. And do it now. Now, I just want to say over the next three weeks, man, we're going to dive in deep. Dive in deep each week to one of those topics. Dive in deep next week to worship, the following week to community, and then the last week to mission. So please, please don't miss a week. I truly, truly believe that it can change everything. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so very much. Thank you that you love us just as we are. But God, as you were doing on that very first day, you're doing now that you're calling us out to say, will we surrender our will to yours? Will we surrender ourselves and recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior and Messiah? Father, I know there are those who are watching, those who are listening, who are wrestling with that. And God, maybe they've been hurt or they've been rejected, but God, let them know that that has never come from you, that your arms are open wide and that you're inviting them into this relationship because of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I love that Jesus, on the last night with his closest friends, before he would go to the cross, before Peter would reject him, he said, I'm going to give you something tangible. Something that's going to transcend. Something that will become this regular occurrence in this thing you have yet to even understand known as the church. And so it says he, he, he took the common elements. He took bread and wine. And it says he took the bread that they had at this meal and he broke it. And he gave it to everyone. He said, this is my body. This is my body. It will be broken for you. I want you to do this. Eat this. And remember And then it says it took the wine, the cup. He said, this cup, it's this unbreakable covenant. It's this covenant between God and you because of my sacrifice. It represents my body, my blood, my life force shed for you. You drink this and you remember. God, help us always to remember the sacrifice that you gave so that we could be in relationship with you through Jesus. In his name.